When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Age of Radio. Hello there, folks, and thank you for listening to the show. I'm Joanna. I'm Nate, and this is Stranger Than. Today we have some more strange stories to tell you. I will be talking about the Dark Watchers. And I have an update from a previous episode, a story from a previous episode. Uh, the one about the family that was found dead in Yosemite. Oh, yeah, I read about that. I yeah. read, read about the cause of death. So, yeah, yes, so I'll, let's, uh, let's discuss that for sure. Yeah, I've got an article that I'll read and then we can uh, talk about that a little bit. Uh, what do you have today, Joanna? Well, I figured since it's Movember, I was going to talk about some man-tastrophes. Ooh. Yes, man-made catastrophes. So I've got a couple to tell you about. And then some like weird shit happening with my house again. So, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's comforting. <laughs> Would you like to hear about that first? Yeah, let's hear about that first. Okay, so this happened like a month ago. I woke up in the middle of the night and needed to go to the bathroom. So I went out the door, down the stairs, went to the bathroom, came back up. And when I had gone down the stairs, like when I when I leave my room, Scarlett's like in the loft area that's directly outside of my room. So I could see that she was sound asleep in her bed as I went down the stairs. As I come back up the stairs, she is sitting straight up in bed fucking staring at me with her hair almost entirely covering her face like the ring like the girl like fucking samara from the ring yeah okay yeah. just like up and just like dead eye freaking staring as i come up the stairs like right at me like it scared the living shit out of me was she awake and sort of and okay so i'm just like scarlet are you okay <laughs> and she's just kind of like <sighs> sighs and then starts talking about her canker sores that she has and how they're bothering her and i'm like okay well you know just try and go back to sleep there get a little rest and i mean before she spoke to me like in my head i was thinking like if she fucking talks to me in a goddamn demon voice like that is it i am out of here we are packing Throwing my up. daughter out the window <laughs> <laughs> we're packing up the car i am driving back to washington and i'm just gonna have to squat at nate's house until i figure my life out <laughs> yeah we got some big tents it's fine right yeah so 
that was what I was thinking. But fortunately, she just seemed like she was sort of like half asleep and had woken up and just decided to look completely terrifying when she did it when I came back <laughs> yeah. up the stairs. So like the next day I asked her, I was like, do you remember like waking up and telling me about your canker sore? She's like, I don't remember talking about the canker sores. I just remember you asking me if I was okay. And you sounded terrified. I'm like, because I fucking was terrified. <laughs> yeah, okay? right? You're of the age where uh, it can be real scary when you do shit like that. <laughs> yeah. You look straight up freaking evil. Oh my gosh. So that is the first thing. Now, thing number two happened just yesterday. Well, I've been having like, we, I don't have any fucking heat at my house currently, folks. And it's uh, November in the Midwest. And so it's starting to get a tad bit cold. And yesterday I get home from work and we're all just kind of hanging out. I turn the, the heaters on, the little space heaters that we have. And Olivia goes to take a shower and she calls me from the shower and she's like, I can't get any hot water to come on. I'm like, fuck. Oh, God damn and it. first thing I think of is like, did I forget to pay the gas bill? <laughs> because that happens with me from time to time. So I'm like, shit, like, I bet I forgot to pay the gas bill. I swear I just paid it. But finally, I, I find the will to get onto my computer and log into it and realize like, no, in fact, it is not because I didn't pay the bill because I only owe $31 and it's not even due until next week. And that I did make a payment like October 16th. So I'm like, okay, so it's not that. So I'm like, fine. And I go down to my scary, awful basement to check out the water heat sitch. And the pilot light is out. So I'm like, okay, I don't summon my uber Christian neighbor just yet because I'm like, all right, I can be a big girl. I can figure this out. I follow the instructions for relighting the pilot like two different times. And it's a newer water heater. We just got it a year ago. So... It's one of those, like, you have to push an ignition switch on it after you turn it to, like, the pilot thing. And it's not one where you have to, like, manually light it. Yeah, it's more like a like a barbecue, like a propane barbecue where you turn on yeah. the propane and then you hit the button and it ignites it. Mm-hmm, exactly. So I go through the steps twice and it does not light. And so at this point, I'm like, well, God damn it. Like, I don't know what else to do. So I text my my neighbor, my neighbor's wife, and I didn't hear back until probably like 930. Like he, you know, works long hours some days. And she was like, oh, yeah, he just got home. Like he can come by. I'm like, oh, thank you. I'm like ready to die and like fall asleep. But yeah, you know, when you have like no heat already, like having hot water is important. And I've yeah, got tons really. of dirty dishes. And I'm like, how am I going to like... Like, the idea of being in my cold-ass kitchen washing dishes with cold water just sounds awful. It didn't appeal to you completely? No, it did not. Neither did having to boil, like, 58 pans of hot water just to have, like, a lukewarm bath to wash myself. <laughs> yeah. That didn't appeal to me either. No, no, that doesn't sound nice. So he comes over, and he goes downstairs with me, and we're looking at it, and I'm like, yeah, I just, uh, you know, he took, like, kind of the little front panel off. I'm like, yeah, I just followed the things two different times. It was completely out. I'm not behind on my gas bill. And then 
he's like, okay, now do it again. And as I'm doing it, he notices, he's like, oh, okay. And I, and does something above me. I can't see what's going on, but then it, it lights and ignites. I'm like, oh, now I kind of feel stupid. I guess I just needed you to be standing over me, watching me do this for it to work. And he's like, no, the gas valve was shut off. Oh, that's weird. That is weird because I do not touch the gas valve ever because gas really freaks me out. Oddly enough, one of my stories is going to be about gas. And your daughters don't go down into your... No, no they do not, not go down and start do like switching there. the gas valve on and off. Now, that same neighbor had been in my, in my basement a few days ago working on my furnace again. And when he was done, you know, deciding that now we we're going to need another part to fix it, hopefully this time... I was like, oh, did you switch it to off and everything? Because I was talking about how like gas really freaks me out. And he's like, yeah, and I'll even turn the, the, the lever to off. Now, there's two different pipes with two different levers that each one goes to my water heater and one goes to the furnace. And I saw him turn the one to my furnace off. But from what I can see, he didn't touch the one that pow that goes to the water heater and he wouldn't, I mean, he knows that that goes to the water heater because he's the one who installed that water heater for me a year ago. And he knows, like, that one goes to the water heater and he wouldn't have had any reason to turn that one off. He knows the one that goes to the furnace goes to the furnace and he turned that, I saw him turn that one off, but I didn't see him touch the other one. I mean, I and guess I it's mean, possible he could have accidentally done it at some point during the whole procedure. Right, but but he knows that that one is only to the hot water heater, and so... Although I guess someone's probably used hot water since when he was in there last and when the... Well, the thing is, is he was last there, so this happened yesterday, which was a Thursday. He was last there Tuesday night is when he found out that the furnace we thought he had fixed was no longer working and he was back down there. And, I, and Wednesday is when we went on our sixth vet appointment for the cat... And, so and no we were at the vets. And... We were at the vets till seven thirty. I mean, usually Olivia takes a shower like every single day, but I I just can't remember. It's just kind of a blur between Tuesday night and Thursday evening and everything in between. Um, but yeah, my neighbor <laughs> is convinced that it's an evil spirit in my house. Of course, he is. Yes, and that you know, if he told me if anything like that ever happens again you know, that I should call him so he can banish the evil spirits. Right. <laughs> For he is the instrument of God. Yes. <laughs> or God is his instrument, one of the two. Um, but yeah, I was a little disturbed by that because I know I didn't fucking touch that valve. Right. Well. I did not touch it. I know the girls did not touch it. So either he did it unknowingly, you know, just did it when he should have, like, no, he would have known, he does know the difference between the two ones, and would have had no reason to actually turn that one off, because he knows perfectly well that goes to the water heater. Or he did or, it on, it's possible he did it on accident, yeah, just like... It is possible he did it on accident, but like I said, I, I saw him, I saw him turn off the, the, the valve that, for the pipe that goes into the furnace, because yeah. I... Wanted to make sure that the gas, there was no gas going into it because gas freaks me out. Um, but I did not see him touch the one for the water heater. 
like the totally separate one. And I know for a fact, I did not touch it. So it's, and it was, it was completely off. It was totally shut off. So either he did, I mean, it's not like I don't, it's definitely within the realm of possibility that he did it accidentally, just not thinking. But yeah, or purposefully also that was, because he wanted to right. show you that he has the power of the Lord or whatever. Maybe so. <laughs> Maybe so. It's just very odd because I feel like we would have used hot water at some point. It was like 48 hours later, so it's kind of yeah, odd that. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, like if he turned it off that with three people Tuesday, in the house. Yeah, Tuesday night, if he accidentally, you know, turned that one off in error, that it wouldn't have been noticed till Thursday evening. It's, it was just very strange. And it's just funny that, you know, even though he's, he and I are so different, like we both do believe in like otherworldly things. Like it was disturbing to me. And for him, he was just like, oh yeah, it's a fucking evil spirit. To him, evil spirits are fallen angels. And, um, you know, they do, like, terrible things. And then, of course, the blood of Jesus is the only thing that uh, banishes them away. So we have differing opinions on <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a, a little, just a little. A little bit, but, uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was strange, to say the least. So hopefully that does not happen again, because uh, if that was, like, a fucking ghost, like, that's kind of a dick move. And I don't like it fucking with the gas. Like, that's not cool. At least it turned the gas off. Right. I mean, that's, it's just like, hey, you know, just, we're being safe here, guys. I know it's you like, feel have about fun gas. getting in the shower, you know? <laughs> fun with a nice cold shower. Yeah. I mean, right now, yeah. Harmless, kind of a dick move, but still, it was uh, not, not cool. No, no, not, not, well, it was cool, and that was the problem. Yeah, it was too cool. Yeah, way too cool. Way too cool. Well, let's get straight to the update on the, the last story, the, the family found in Yosemite. Okay. This is from the Washington Post. For two months, a family's hiking death was a mystery. Officials now say it was hyperthermia. Yeah. For more than two months, California authorities could not say what killed a young family of three and their dog along a hiking trail in the Sierra National Forest. The bodies of John Garish, Ellen Chung, and their one-year-old daughter, Miju, were found close to the Merced River with no physical wounds or signs of trauma. Baffled investigators ruled out a number of possibilities, from lightning to carbon monoxide exposure and toxic algae. Now they have an answer. Hyperthermia and possible dehydration. Mariposa County Sheriff Jeremy Brees announced Thursday. The family had hiked a steep incline with little shade at temperatures reaching up to 109 degrees, possibly running out of water at some point during the trip, Brees said. Investigators believe their dog, Oski, died of heat-related issues. Brees explained hyperthermia is a condition when body temperatures reach an abnormally high level. This is an unfortunate tragic event due to the weather, Brees said. In a statement, the Garish and Chung families expressed pain almost beyond words, amid a void of answers during the investigation. Our hearts will never forget the beautiful lives of Jonathan, Ellen, Miju, and of course, Oski, they continued. The cause behind the mysterious deaths of the family was determined after a litany of tests, including autopsies and toxicology reviews. 
the sheriff said a team of detectives had worked on the case round the clock, methodically reviewing evidence like cell phone data and more. Garish, 45, Chung, 30, and their daughter and dog were discovered after a family pr friend had reported them missing on August 16th. Miju's babysitter had alerted family members that Garish and Chung were not home that day. The day before, a witness saw the family traveling toward the trailhead. Law enforcement combed the trail after spotting the couple's truck parked near the trail's entrance, the Washington Post previously reported. Later that morning, in an area known as Devil's Gulch, search and rescue officers discovered Garish in a seated position with Miju and Oski near him, while Chung was found further up a hill. Authorities later closed the 28 miles of river the family was found near after test results of the water downstream revealed high levels of toxic algae, but algae blooms were ruled out as cause of death. The family did not drink the water from the river, Brees said. The sheriff said investigators had also considered possible exposure from nearby mines, but they determined the family did not visit those mines. The loss of the young family came as a shock to those in the Mariposa community who knew them. It's just so tragic and mysterious, Stephen Jaffe, a close family's friend, previously told the Washington Post. The couple moved to Mariposa from San Francisco in March 2020. Jerish worked at Snapchat, and Chung was working towards a master's degree in family therapy, Jeffy said. Those who knew the couple described their love of outdoor adventures and hiking, questioning what could have happened during the trip to Heights Cove. We're just devastated by the loss, Jeffy said. But I think the community is more like, what the heck happened? It's just so crazy. On Thursday, Brees showed footage of the eight-mile trail the family had nearly completed, with sloping terrain that had little tree cover due to wildfire in 2018. They were 1.6 miles away from completing the hike. A sole container for water was found with the family. An 85-ounce water bladder backpack was empty. Brees said he had not encountered another hyperthermia death during his work at the sheriff's office, but he warned others to take precautions when outdoors during sweltering summers. My message would be to prepare if you're going to hike. Prepare, he said. The Jerish and Chung families said they would use new revelations as a way of helping us come to terms with the situation. However, they added, the question of why can never be answered and will remain with us. Certainly will, because it just seems odd. It's still, it does still seem weird. Yeah. But... I guess that's what the evidence says. I mean, everyone and the dog do, especially if they're near water. They could have gotten into water if they were feeling too. I mean, I understand hyper. I think the thing with hyperthermia is okay, if this was hypothermia that they died from, it would be like accepted, like without question, I think. Yeah. Like when you're in cold. But uh, for whatever reason, the idea of overheating to the point that you die is, I don't know, harder to accept. But I don't know. It's just its just weird. I still... It seems like it happened so fast. I mean, even in 109 yeah. degrees, it seems so fast. And the child, I mean, the child probably wasn't doing a whole lot of walking. Yeah. And, and dogs are, are way more resilient than people. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of thing you see when somebody's, like, trapped, like, in, like, when you, like, lock a kid in the car or leave your pet in the car. Yeah, they get yeah. hyperthermia and die. But it, if you're in the outdoors, like, close to a water source, it's just, 
Weird. Strange. Or, you know, if you're like stranded, like out in the middle of the desert with like no shade and no nothing around for miles and miles and miles. And now they did I say there was it, no but... shade really because the trees had been burned, but. Yeah. I mean, maybe I it was completely bereft. Shade, but. I mean, no um, shade at all. That's, I mean. It just seems strange that it would still happen in kind of a wide open space. Um, and the fact they were kind of like an outdoorsy couple. Yeah. It seems like they would, I don't know. And yes, it, it was a really hot year. And so mm -hmm. in places, I can see how people wouldn't be quite as prepared. But I mean, they're from California. Right. So, I mean, yes, the Bay Area. So it's not as. It's a little chillier there. But yeah, it's, still. it's cooler there. But still, I, I don't know. It just seems. I mean, there's no evidence of anything else. So yeah, they ruled out all the I other mean, shit they talked about. There's no, they didn't take, they didn't drink river water and get sick that way, which probably yeah. would have dropped them real fast anyway. And they didn't get into the um, the mines or near the mines where they're going to be inhaling all that toxic smokes or uh, mm -hmm. fumes. So yeah, and I'm not sure that it. I I don't know what signs it actually leaves behind at autopsy. I think I feel like this was something that maybe they ruled everything else out and determined that this must have been the cause. I don't know. It's just I can see maybe or maybe one of them dying of it. Like whoever was like physically weakest. But the but dog all too of them is and so the dog weird. too. It is so weird. Like just to like sit there and die. I mean, especially when you're so close. I mean, this is a a, a well walked trail. I'm sure there were signposts. You know. Yeah. I mean, there must have been that are like, oh, we're only like a little ways away. Mm hmm. But you like, you're really that close to death. That that's it. Yeah, it's very odd. I'm. I can't say I'm wholly satisfied with that answer. No, but that's it. I mean, they've they've closed the fucking case. I mean, mm -hmm. I wonder, I wonder if the family is satisfied with it. I wonder if they're they're just fine with the whole thing, or if or if they're actually looking more into some stuff. Well, I mean, no matter what, like they're gone and never coming back, and that's just got to be like awful. Oh so yeah, definitely. Probably, I I would say they're still probably you know going through like the awfulness of just losing them in the first place. But if it were my family member, I I don't. I would have trouble accepting that. That's for sure. Yeah, it's yeah something else. It's it's a very it's just a really sad story. It's very it is. It's terrible. It's very unfortunate. Well, let's stick around in California. Okay. There's the Santa Lucia Mountain Range. It's in Southern California. It's between San Jose and Bakersfield. It's on the coast. It's mm -hmm. not mountains directly on the coast. There is some land between the Pacific and these mountains, but it's, it's not a super long range, but it has a little bit of history to it. Allegedly, supposedly for the past 300 years and perhaps longer, there have been stories of people seeing these things in this mountain range. They appear humanoid, although most people who see them believe they're not but they're they're not humans but they they appear humanoid uh, they're quite tall between 7 and 15 feet tall or 2 to 4.5 meters they're usually seen wearing a wide-brimmed hat and a cape sometimes i have like a staff or, or a walking stick 
And they will show up usually in the twilight hours at, you know, crepuscular times. So either in the late afternoon, twilight, or the twilight times, dawn or dusk. When they're observed, they will sometimes seem to notice the observer and then quickly disappear. And they'll, like, turn to look at the person and then, like, be gone suddenly. It's said they were first seen by the Chumash Native Americans. They supposedly called them the old ones, but I actually, I looked into some legends from this particular tribe and referenced old ones. And I, I read, I read a few things and they actually, well, as far as I could find online, they didn't talk about this shit at all. So it could just be a thing that happens a lot in America where we're like, oh yeah, no, it's a it's a Native American story, just because it's an ancient legend. Yeah, we we, you know, white people destroyed their culture, and so a lot of their tales aren't around anymore. Right. And we can just kind of say, oh yeah, man, it was a Native American thing, and no one can prove it wasn't because no one really knows, except right. for like perhaps some of the natives that are still alive from that particular tribe or that know about it and can either be like you're a bunch of dumb crackers or whatever. It was they were mentioned in a John Steinbeck short story called Flight, written in 1938. And there's a big long like sentence about the dark watchers in these particular mountains. John Steinbeck's son, I believe his name was Thomas, co-wrote a book about the Dark Watchers with a painter called Benjamin Brode, and it's called Search of the Dark Watchers. Also, Steinbeck's mom, Olive Hamilton, was a big believer in these things. She would go through a canyon called Mule Deer Canyon on her way to Big Sur. Big Sur is this area, I think it's between the mountains and the coast, and apparently she went to school there. I don't know if there's actually any like cities or anything around there nowadays, but according to my sources, she went to school there. And she would leave dried fruit or sometimes fresh fruit or nuts in this particular like kind of shady spot in Mule Deer Canyon. And when she came back, there would be flowers in their place. And there was where, apparently a place that she didn't just like randomly leave this shit. She had these specific places that she left them. And so she would come back to these specific places that she knew and find different things put there. And what she believed was that, and what she taught her her children and her grandchildren was that these were the Dark Watchers. She was leaving gifts for the Dark Watchers, and they were, in turn, giving her gifts. Interesting. I've heard that with, like, Bigfoot stories, too. Oh, yeah, a lot of times. Although, and oftentimes in the Bigfoot stories, they aren't left anything in return. Usually it's just they take the fucking apples or the Big Macs or the... McRibs or whatever. <laughs> they leave flowers behind. Wasn't that like in a Frank? Wasn't that like a Frankenstein thing too? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> there was also a poet called Robinson Jeffers that wrote about the Dark Watchers in a poem, a 1937 poem called "Such Counsels You Gave Me." And again, he just, you know, waxes poetic about some shit and talks about the Dark Watchers in it. Apparently, the Spanish psychopaths, I guess, that <laughs> walked around uh, this area 
also saw them, you know, way back in, in the 1700s or 1600s. And they called them Vigilantes Oscuros, which I guess literally means in Spanish, dark watchers. Oh, okay. Apparently, there's also American settlers that have said that they felt watched from the hills in that particular area, though I didn't find any people with names that or stories, you know, so who knows really about that. There is also a unnamed high school principal from an unnamed high school that was hiking in the 1960s in the Monterey Peninsula, which is a part of this mountain range. And apparently he saw a hiker in a, a, a hat and a cape and called out to him and the, the hiker just disappeared. And he believes that was a dark watch or they believe it's it, that's a story used to prove dark watchers or a dark watcher story although of course there's it didn't even say what fucking high school it came from and not even a, a specific year just the 1960s there's a story about uh that was relayed that was related in 2011 although it happened before that a witness said that they were in a dirt field in the moreno valley just braffing around in an old uh, vw bug when he and a friend saw several large humanoids a bit off in the distance in the circle around the car that they were in, uh, while braffing around, they had broken down, and it was super. It was getting close to dark, and so they were too far out to be able to get out of even the dirt field before it was completely dark. So they were like, "Fuck it, we're just going to chill out in the car." This was in the days before lots of cell phone ownership. They didn't say exactly when. Mm -hmm. I imagine it being in like the 80s, maybe the 90s, maybe the 70s, who knows. But they they were pretty much just chilling out, smoking cigarettes, getting in and out of the car when they saw these things all around them. And they walked around the car to kind of like see if they could get a different perspective of them to see if they would disappear or whatever. And they just they just sat there and they were far enough away that. I guess they didn't feel immediately concerned about it. Um, but they fully believe they saw people there that were gone in the morning. So, you know, uh, from the distance, they seemed to be pretty big. Like the people were the size of the car they were in. That would fucking concern me. I don't care how far away they are. Like, you know, they never paid any attention to the, to the people in the car at all, apparently. So I guess they felt pretty safe. Uh, yeah, that would freak me the fuck out if I felt, like, surrounded by giant, tall, humanoid things. Yeah, me too. In 2013, a woman named Elizabeth Benitez said that she and a friend were passing the San Luis Obispo Reservoir in broad daylight, and they saw a humanoid with a cloak leaning on a stick looking into a body of water, which I'm assuming was the reservoir. They were at a distance that the reservoir looked like a puddle, and this critter, this humanoid, was standing at the foot of a mountain. So, I mean, I didn't really look at, like, Google Earth or anything to see where this reservoir was, but I imagine maybe it was at the foot of a mountain, from what the, the description here. The person, the, the figure, was just staring into this reservoir, which was, you know, they, again, they were far enough away, it looked just like a puddle, and... But the creature, the, I mean, it was still large enough that it looked like it was looking into a puddle. So maybe perspective? I don't know. Apparently it was quite black, like a raven is. And uh, the other person in the car with 
Elizabeth Benitez also said that they saw the figure. A fellow named Brian in 2013 saw a figure standing at the edge of a mountain beyond a barbed wire fence, which stood out to him because he frequented the area and had never seen someone there before. It was through a mountain pass or something like that. And he went through there at different times of day, you know, with a relative frequency and had never seen anyone beyond this barbed wire fence. The figure looked to be around 10 feet tall with a hunchback, broad shoulders and a cape. And it was staring off into the distance. Did you say a cape? A cape. Cape, you know, like you put on a Superman cape. Well, I don't know if it was red with an S on it, but it was like a cape. I don't actually know. Did Superman's cape have an S on it? Was it just red? I think it was just uh, red. He had I feel like it on was his just chest. Red. I'm an asshole. Yeah. So Brian pulled off at the next time he could, and he was as he looked back in the area, the the, the humanoid was gone. On January 24th, 2015, around 2 p.m., a guy named Joey was practicing running for long distance. He was running in the mountains when he saw a very black figure in an area where you couldn't get to without climbing gear, but he didn't appear to have any climbing gear. A year later, he was running in the same area and he saw the same figure, which means it's probably just like a fucking tree that looks like a person or something. Yeah, sometimes they can do that. Oh, yeah, definitely. can look like all sorts of like fucked up things. Oh, yeah. We have like... um a lot of like hard nut trees out here so they have like the big hollows in the trunks which can really look like terrifying and also like other things yeah totally i, I really that. upset my daughters when i'm like oh that one looks like a vagina yeah. <laughs> they're like mom stop when they saw uh, so my girlfriend has for the listeners my girlfriend has a i think it's an amethyst or something or at least it's a purple crystal and it's shaped like a vagina and mm-hmm. when Joanna was staying here last summer with her kids, one of her kids walks out and looks at this crystal and is like, this is really weird looking. I'm like, yeah, because it's a vagina. And the kid just fucking cracks up. And then her other younger daughter is not pleased with all the vagina talk. And we're like, no, yes. but look, it's a vagina. And she's like, eh, no, I'll have none of that. You know, right. it was it was funny. Yes, the vagina crystal. It's a good crystal. It is. In 2018, a witness from Ojai, California, saw a figure while hiking in the mountains. He waved, and the figure waved back. And the guy was smoking a cigarette, so he blew a plume of smoke from his cigarette. And the figure appeared to blow a huge plume of smoke that started going straight up into the air, which scared this witness, and they ran back to their car, apparently spraining their knee <laughs> that went too far <laughs> yeah yeah it was cool when it waved back you know i blow this plume of smoke and then it blows this giant thing and then uh, that's like that's it i'm fucking out of here yeah which is it must have had a huge cigarette fucking something <laughs> something so there's some theories behind what's actually going on here there's of course pareidolia which miriam webster defines as the tendency to perceive a specific often meaningful image in a random or ambiguous visual pattern. So like a Rorschach test. Or, you know, that's like the inkblot test sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Or when people like find a Cheeto that looks like the fucking Virgin Mary or something. That's pareidolia. It's just humans look for 
patterns and stuff. Right. And so, I mean, you look into some trees and you can, or no, uh, you look at a cloud and you can see a, a picture in a cloud. That's pareidolia. Another thing they have is called a Brocken Spectre. And this is named for figures that locals of the Harz Mountains in Germany saw on Brocken Peak. There's mist and these, it's like always misty there. And then there's these mountain peaks. And if you get in the right, you know, during during the twilight hours when the sun is close to the horizon, it will catch like, you know, hikers' shadows and reflect it onto the mist. And it will look like a goddamn person. It shines in a way where you got feet and, or you got like arms and legs and a head. And then there's this rainbow halo around the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then they can just disappear or appear to move around because the mist is, well, misty and does mist things. It looks really cool. You can find pictures of it online. It's beautiful. But it does definitely look like a stick figure. Interesting. And so it's possible that that's what people are seeing in these areas. However, n- you know, neither of these things leave flowers when you leave, you know, treats. So That's true. So dark watchers. Probably just a trick of the eye, but you know, maybe they're 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 not so much. They don't fuck with people apparently. They just watch. They just watch and usually not even the people, so you know. Hey, I mean, that's kind of creepy in itself, but I mean... It is a little bit, yeah. But it, as long as they just stick to stick to the watching, then okay. And, I mean, I couldn't find any specific stories about it from the native tribes in the area, at least online. Nor could I find any from any Spanish mm-hmm. accounts. So, is it something that's really that old? Or is it something that's, you know, not really that old? It's more urban legend. Yeah, yeah. No, there were many, many writings from the Brocken, the Brocken Peak, like from, for for hundreds of years. There's mm-hmm. writings about the figures there. Uh, I didn't specifically read any of them, uh, but I don't believe they believed that they were actual people once it got to be later on in the world's time you know like maybe Mm -hmm. at the very beginning but of writing but not quite so much later on well once there was like a scientific explanation for it right or i mean even there's not even really a specific scientific explanation people aren't 100 percent it's brock inspector or i mean it's probably just pareidolia yeah but it could be it could be both it could be both who knows so what do you have for us joanna what do I have for you? Probably some filth. <laughs> well, one of the stories is actually pretty fucking filthy. But in like the literal sense. But the first one I'm going to talk about, the first mantastrophe, is the New London School Explosion. And my sources are www.history.com and tshaonline.org. On March 18, 1937, teachers and students at the New London Consolidated School in New London, Texas, 
I had no idea there was a New London, Texas, but... Hey, I guess... Why not? Right? Got New York, New Jersey, and New London. I think there's a London and Ontario, too. Yeah. Students and teachers were wrapping up what had been a typical school day. The school was located close to a large oil and natural gas field. Now, this was like in East Texas, so kind of in like the the Dallas, not too far from like the Dallas area. The school originally utilized natural gas, but after getting some high gas bill, they had decided two months prior to March, so in January, uh, they had decided to switch to wet gas. They were tapping into the wet gas lines. Now, wet gas is, well, it sounds disgusting, number one. <laughs> hey, there could be other synonyms for wet they could use. You know, damp gas. And it's a waste gas, too. <laughs> like, you. So wet gas is, yeah, it's kind of like a waste byproduct of um, gas, which at the time, uh, a lot of people used, uh, if you were living near oils, oil fields, you use this kind of gas because it was less expensive than regular natural gas. So not like gasoline gas, but natural gas no. gas. No, but there's also like the oil gas. And I feel like the, this wet gas gas is a byproduct of that. Oh, okay. And it is known to have more impurities and be less stable. But if you live near an oil field, you could tap into the wet gas line. Basically, they, they pipe that gas away when they're uh, tapping into like the oil beneath the ground. They pipe that gas away and you could tap into that line and get gas for your home or business at a much lower cost than to if you were tapping into the natural gas. Right. Okay. I gotcha. The school was pretty new and had cost quite a bit. So that might've been why the superintendent approved of using the wet gas versus the more expensive natural gas. But at 3.05 p.m., just 10 minutes before the end of the school day, an unexpected and massive explosion occurred. The building literally lifted in the air and smashed to the ground. The walls and the roof caved in and buried hundreds of students and teachers in the debris. The blast was so powerful that it hurled a two-ton concrete slab 200 feet away, and it crushed a car. Jesus the, Christ. Yeah, the explosion was heard as far as four miles away. Over the next several hours, first responders from several neighboring counties, along with Texas Rangers, the United States Army Air Corps, as well as many volunteers, dug through the rubble to search and treat survivors and recover the bodies of those who died. Within 17 hours, all the victims had been located and removed from the site. Of the 500 students and 40 teachers in the building, approximately 298 died. How many people were there total? About 540. Wow. So, yeah. So like it killed. 60% of them or something. Yeah. And most of them were killed instantaneously in well, the blast and then everything falling. That. Yeah. I mean, that being killed immediately in that particular case is way better than being slowly crushed to death or suffocated or mm -hmm. dying from the fucking 
wet gas fumes or whatever the fuck just yeah yeah although i'm sure some of the i mean a lot of it was because of the you know crushing of the you know the the roof and the walls collapsing in on everyone as long as it happens fast yeah Reportedly, amongst the debris, a blackboard was found, and it read, Oil and natural gas are East Texas's greatest natural gifts. Without them, this school would not be here, and none of us would be learning our lessons. <laughs> I, that's, that's definite irony right there. Hell yeah. Uh, an ensuing investigation concluded that the gas had escaped from a faulty connection and had accumulated beneath the building. Now, this is where, uh, this is one of those things that actually kind of like changed the way we do things going forward. I'll get to that in one second, but it probably had been accumulating for maybe even days with no one noticing because at the time, gas had, natural gas had no smell. Ah. Yes. So... What they think triggered the explosion was an instructor turned on a sanding machine, like in like, you know, like the wood shop or whatever. Yeah. It turned on an, uh, the sanding machine and the uh, and it sparked and the switch ignited the mixture of gas and air and just the whole thing just whoosh exploded. God Massive damn. explosion. So as a result of this incident, wet gas was required to be burned at the site, so no more piping into wet gas. Like, that just had to be burned at the drill site. You couldn't use it anymore. And then, more importantly, their new laws mandating that uh, malodorants, so bad smell, be added to natural gas so that people would be able to detect a gas leak, and tragedies like this would not occur again. That's why propane has a smell. Mm-hmm. And natural gas has a smell. Yep. And even, I mean, I, it still freaks me out, like I was saying earlier, like, <laughs> gas freaks me out. But apparently, I've never really smelled it, though, so apparently it does smell pretty bad, like rotting eggs is what it's supposed to smell like so you you should know if you're if it's leaking into your house when i was a drug addled teenager i worked at a gas station and mm -hmm. uh, they allowed for me to fill up people's propane tanks from like the big, uh -huh. the big ass propane tank and one time i fucked up and sprayed down the whole fucking parking lot with uh with <laughs> propane cuz there's it was very complicated and when you're a drug addled youth it is difficult sometimes and okay. i just there's like two different things and i turned one the wrong way two different knobs and i turned one the wrong way and like just fucking it just got out of control turn it off and put it away and everyone the customers were all very concerned i was like it's okay mm -hmm. it's cool just wait for a couple minutes it'll blow away and then you can turn on your cars and i went back inside and they did not fire me wow i don't believe i got any complaints no one ever talked to me about it so well, you know, gas is tricky and uh, accidents happen. <laughs> yeah, well, especially when you are <laughs> a drug-addled youth. Right. Well, just me, I know I could probably have a, like an accident with gas really easily, which is why I never touched the fucking gas valves in my goddamn basement. And I don't know who or what did, but... Somebody or something. There you go. 
That is mantastrophe number one. I got another one for you. All right. Cough it up. Yep. This one is I titled Death by Molasses. Jesus. And my sources are rarehistoricalphotos.com and nbcnews.com. On January 15, 1919, at approximately 12.30 p.m., a 50-foot-high steel tank holding a huge amount of molasses violently ruptured and burst and unleashed a sweet, sticky hell upon the people of Boston. Rivets popping from the tank shot out like bullets, and the wave that was unleashed by the rupture consisted of 2.3 million gallons of molasses. It moved at 35 miles per hour <laughs> and was Christ. 25 feet high <sighs> and 160 feet wide. Wow, it's like a molasses tsunami. It was literally a tsunami of molasses. It completely demolished whatever was in its path in the crowded north end of the city. God damn. It knocked buildings off of their foundations, including... The Engine 31 Firehouse was knocked from its foundation and almost swept into Boston Harbor. Oh my god. People in its direct path were immediately swallowed, drowned, and, and asphyxiated by the gooey substance. Death by molasses. It, yeah, literally death by molasses. It broke out windows it overturned real cars yeah flooded homes like people's cellars were full of molasses by the time the wave subsided it had killed 21 people injured 150 and caused damage worth about 100 million dollars in today times yes now, at the time, 1919, molasses was kind of a big deal. Well, it it's was, been kind of a big deal for a while because that's what they made yeah. rum out of. So, Well, yeah. But it was also one of the leading food sweeteners in the United States. And also, you know, there's the, the whole rum thing. They also fermented it to make ethanol, which could be uh, used as an ingredient in some of uh, the munitions that they used, like in World War One. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, molasses was a was a big business, used for many things. Now, on the scene, responders included the Boston police, firefighters, sailors from the USS Nantucket, and the Red Cross. To quote the Suffolk County medical examiner, George McGrath, the bodies pulled up from the molasses looked as though they were covered in heavy oil skins, eyes, ears, and mouths, and noses filled. God. Yeah. At a nearby hospital, doctors and nurses worked to remove molasses from people's noses and mouths so that they could breathe. Eventually, the sticky substance would spread from the victims to the medical personnel until everything, everyone and everything was covered in it. That's just disgusting. Yes. Out on the ruined streets, police shot injured horses trapped in oh. the molasses. Yes. Fucking Christ. 
Cold temperatures did not help the situation either. As soon as the molasses, because soon the molasses began to harden, making rescue and cleanup efforts even harder. It would take eventually eighty-seven thousand man hours to clean up the mess. That's insane. This is like a bad, like genie wish, right? It's like something you see like on a cartoon or something. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. Literally. Uh, you know, knee-high molasses all through the streets and people's cellars, and then it hardens, and they're trying to, like, chisel it out. and Got flamethrowers, but you can't because sugar will catch on fire, and you're going right. to burn then everything. Just, then everything's just going to be on fire, too. Like, that's that's no good. The water that they used, the harbor water that they used to try and wash everything down, like, the whole Boston Harbor was, like, brown until summertime because of all, so like, the gross. molasses leaking into it man uh over the ensuing months it was carried on the equipment the shoes and the clothing to all parts of the city not just the north end that was the you know most so boston was covered in molasses boston was literally covered in molasses like the whole city smelled of molasses god damn and it was just sticky everywhere that is so gross yes now, how did this happen? Purity Distilling Company was the ones who built the tank. They were a subsidiary of the U.S. industrial alcohol. The tank was built in 1915, and the guy who was in charge of the tank building was one Arthur Jell, J-E-L-L. Apparently, he had no technical experience, no architectural experience, and no engineering experience. And yet, he was the one who was in charge of designing this giant holding tank for all the molasses that came in from, like, Cuba. And Seems like a great idea. Like, yeah. I, I'd hire him, too. Yeah, fuck it. So, you have no experience needed for this job. He was the company's treasurer. Like, they were like, hey. I, li- I like the cut of your jib. You're hired. Fucking goddamn! We've got a we've got a different job for you. It's not about managing the money. Like build this <laughs> build giant this tank. thing. Like all right, here we go. He never fully tested the capacity for the tank after it was uh, finished being constructed. He only put about six inches of water in there to test for leaks in like a fifty foot fall, tall fucking tank. <laughs> And also, it was like water, too, and, you know, molasses is a lot heavier than water. Apparently, it leaked from day one, this tank. Great. And uh, even though workers would often comment on the slow leak of molasses oozing from the tank, nobody ever did anything about it. Like, don't worry about it. It'll, the molasses is sticky. It'll, it'll slow up eventually. Yeah, it'll eventually, like, harden and stop it up. Did not. You know what the company did do about that? Something ineffectual like that. (laughs) They painted the whole tank brown to camouflage the leaks. It's like Deadpool. It's why Deadpool wears a red outfit is because then you can't see the blood. Yeah. So seven days before the flood... When it was pretty dang cold, I, apparently the, the low that day was two degrees. There was a new shipment of uh, molasses dumped in 
on more than half a million gallons of molasses that was already in this poorly constructed tank. <laughs> and apparently the warm molasses from the shipment mixed with the cold molasses, it triggered a fermentation process that produced gas. And it began whining and groaning, according to witnesses, a few days prior. And then the before the... Uh, like almost overfilled tank just totally freaking busted it. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. All all that pressure and gas like built up and just Oh yeah, I mean BAM. I'm familiar now, with fermentation. Was... And <laughs> when I when I make wine, there's this little thing you put at the top of your wine. It's called an airlock. And it's like a little sort of like a, 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 a straw, like one of the crazy straws. It's right, like that, yeah. but there's, there's a, a bit of water, like a reservoir where water can just sit. And that thing mm-hmm. bubbles like a motherfucker while there's yeah. all that gas pumping out. So I can imagine if there's, if there's no way for the gas to escape that it's going to get yeah real shitty real quick. Definitely. Now, this even went before a grand jury to see if the company would be held liable for manslaughter. The grand jury did decide that the tank had been built without a a sufficient inspection of its plans and construction by the city, but they did not charge the company with manslaughter. But the result of this was, again, new law... City authorities began requiring that plans for all construction projects be signed off by an engineer or architect and filed with the city's building department. And eventually that spread throughout the rest of America. Well, that's a good thing. It's still how we do things like today. Like, you can't just do this, you know, dumbass design and be like, yeah, I think that should work. Let's... uh, yeah, you know, let's put a bunch of shit in this holding tank and like hope that tragedy does not ensue. Oh, definitely. You know, uh, I'm all about freedom, but uh, if it, you know, fucks with the general well, yeah, public safety of society, is also a thing. Yeah, <laughs> then maybe you shouldn't just be allowed to do whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, there's there's freedom, but also needs to be uh, sometimes limited by the, you know... You can't infringe good, upon other yeah. people's freedom of living because right. you want to build a fucking cheap, <laughs> shitty molasses holder. And I feel like that can be a metaphor for, like, all kinds of shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. When just talking about molasses, though, oh, my God, what a horrible way to die. <sighs> Yeah, being I mean, drowned and asphyxiated in molasses, and how then much... how awful would that have been? I mean, it's 1919. You don't even have like really good like super industrial strength like cleaners and equipment and stuff no, to, like clean a... shit yeah, up. No. There's it's just the whole place is fucking full of molasses and I'd move out sticky, I would leave. just the stickiness. I'd be gone I mean, from fucking Boston. I'd be like, I'm fucking out of this shithole, this molasses hole. Just having my kids in the car when they were little and they eat a couple of pieces of candy and get all stick their sticky hands and faces. I mean, that was like Yeah, the but worst. your kids I mean, not your kids. Kids in general are just like produce sticky. They do. They do. Like and so just having a couple of disgusting. sticky kids around is like, you know, that's bad enough. I can't imagine like every single place, you know, like your home, the streets. Ugh, fuck all of that. The 
you know, the train cars, the public That was phone just like a booths. shitty time to be alive because you had, you know, <laughs> sticky cities, you had the goddamn influenza pandemic. Yes. And just a bunch of fucking bullshit. No booze in America then. I mean, like the year after, I think it was 1920 that booze were like, sorry. Yeah, no, they're like, sorry, sticky. you can't Your have guys that have anymore. Died from the flu. You can't drink. Yeah, the stickiness probably still hasn't even gone away completely. Right. Yeah, Boston is still a sticky city. Ugh. <laughs> well, they say to this day that, you know, when it gets really hot, you can still uh, smell molasses up in the North End. Really? That's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess there's worse smells, but. That's true, but it's still not great. No. No, pretty filthy though. I told you it was a yeah, filthy story. Yeah, you weren't story. you weren't wrong. You weren't wrong. Yeah, at imagine all. all the filth that clings God. to the sticky. You know, bad. So bad. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for you this time. Thank you all very much for listening. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed it thoroughly. You can find us at any social media places we are. If you just look us up, we're Stranger Than or Stranger Than Podcast. You can find us at ageofradio.org slash stranger than where you can stream our episodes you can also take a look at ageofradio.org to find all kinds of other podcasts as well as merchandise of stuff and things send us stories alien abductions you know ghost stories uh, anything Stranger Than Podcast at gmail.com. We would love to read your stories on air. They are lovely stories because you're lovely people. Absolutely. You can also join our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash stranger than podcast. There for $1, you can get a crisp high five if you ever see us. For $2, you get ad-free regular episodes. And for $5, you get monthly true crime bonus episodes and with that we'll talk to you next time and stay strange Whoa.